0: Hi everybody, I'm Christina, thanks for the introduction. Um, I just want to share maybe an experience you might also have had. Like six months ago, I handed in this abstract, and then I stood myself and I thought, oh, I handed in quite an abstract, oh, in, in English. So I will um, be a bit challenged with the English, so excuse if I might sometimes read from the papers, because we will actually go through quite a complex topic. But, um, yeah, I, I, I hope it's working out. So. As uh, Joran said, I'm from the Center for Internet and Human Rights, but I do want to pay credits to the work I did for the last four years, together with my colleagues from the Amadeo Antonio Foundation. They have a stand here also. A lot of these things on counter speech are actually developed in a discussion with them and working with them. And meanwhile, um, the topic occurred there is a lot of ideas from them in here. So in the Center for Internet and Human Rights, just to let you know, I do research now concerning youth and their, um, the use of memes in online culture and the way youth use that, these forms of messages maybe to express political attitudes. Uh, but today I will maybe as counter speech, so that's why we also speak about counter speech. So maybe... Um, Um, an explanation why it is a too-long-didn't-read. Because when hate speech and toxic online behavior uh, became part of online culture, or it always was, but there was attention that this is bad for society, especially in online society, and that came especially with the rise of right-wing populists, gaining a lot of attention, and then later also political power. The strategies of these movements are globally mainly the same, and they do tend to use social media to grab attention, attack political enemies, and uh, pillory and create atmosphere of, of behaviours that hate speech and harmful speech is conducted in a rapid way. Counter speech appeared then as a measure against this form of hate speech. So it's a deeply political idea, and I will speak today about it really more as a political question that we still need to deal with today. So, counter-speech was the idea of the democratic-orientated person to speak up in social media and condemn these behaviours. And when Heiko Maas in 2017 made the fight against hate speech in social media, one of his political priority as a Minister of Justice he was then, the pressure went to the platforms, social media platforms. And the discussion became very strong towards a state regulatory practice as the solution to deal with hate speech. And looking back, I can see how alternatives are still overlooked because I feel political state regulators, in analyzing the problem hate speech, just read the first line and fell for a typical, too long, didn't read. So that's why I will speak about counter speech as a concept as a concept, as a whole, I will, we will go a bit into depth. Then I will talk about the Network Enforcement Act, maybe you know it as Netzwerkdurchsetzungsgesetz, NetzDG, and the governmental program against hate and hounding. And thirdly, I will, look, I will close with a short outlook. So here we are. What is actually counter speech? And counter speech is any direct response to hateful or harmful speech which seeks to undermine it. It can be crowdsourced, like initiatives like Ich bin hier, I am here, do it, or it can be individual. Maybe it's very important to say that it's always reactionary and harm- too harmful message, and then that always implies a hierarchy. Like we should never think of hate speech, counter speech in equal ways there is a hierarchy and there is a power structure in those ones who attack and who do these harmful messages in those two responses. And that is very important always to consider. Now we will start and we will go back into the history of counter-speech in the conceptual grounds. You see here Justice Louis Brandeis, uh, he did have an idea about counter-speech, he was a judge, and many platforms i want to also say that come from america have this deep understanding of freedom of speech formed into their context of social it is formed into concepts of social media platforms as well as for example their pur- pur- puritan idea of nudity exposures of women's uh, breasts So the concept of how to deal with hate speech in free speech-orientated context goes back to this law case that Judge Louis Brandeis wrote as one of the greatest defense of free speech in American history, and it became the leading standard case. In this court case, in the 20s, it was upholding the conviction of Charlotte Whitney, who had engaged in speech that raised a threat to society. And that was the establishment of the Communist Labour Party in America, who taught... The violent overthrow of governments. Even though she herself denied that this was her intention to become an instrument of violence, Brandeis, uh, Brandeis wrote a concurrence, and a concurrence is like a speech, that um, a piece that a judge can add as an opinion to a court's decision. And in this, he underlines unpopular ideas should have an opportunity to be competed in the marketplace of ideas. So he states in this paper if there is be time to expose through discussion the falsehood and fallacies to avert the evil by a process of education, the remedy to be applied is more speech and not enforced silence. So here he grounded in this case um, this idea of the marketplace of a deer and that free speech should should be in this marketplace of ideas should be the measure of all. So that is, um, and also even with those ones who might be threatful to society. So 1927, uh, the internet and social media are far away, but he grounded a concept of a democratic process and free speech, who were deeply intertwined for him. Counter speech was for him the speech made in opposition to other speech. But the concept of counter-speech also comes with with context. So to speak up is one of the most important matters of counter-speech. And here's an example that will lead us from American concept of Brandeis to the question of speaking up in German history. Because what happens if no one speaks up in the marketplace of ideas? And if silence and violence is enforced, and what if anti democratics start to dominate the marketplace of ideas and take over the competition? Here we have um, a statement attributed to Pastor Niemöller, and he describes the experience of silencing, as well as of the democracy turning towards dictatorship, and the dictatorship is the end of the marketplace, that is always, the, the, the market is gone. So here it's written first they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. This quote I like very much, because it shows that not only the German experience of bystanding, but also emphasises something very important about counter-speech itself, the structure. Because counter-speech is not only for those ones to speak up for themselves, but it has a deep concept of protection and solidarity for others to speak up for others. Counter-speech is not only for those who are affected and attacked, harassed and publicly threatened. It is also for those ones who witness and bystand to take part. So German laws and discussion around free speech and regulation hold a deep historic experience, and that why their free speech in Germany is regulated, for example, such as the Holocaust denial, that is a a, a classic of this regulation of speech. What I want more want to come to is to speak about what we call dangerous speech. So, hate speech, it's, it's, it's a threat. Uh, there is a, a, also a law to it now. But actually, it's a discriminatory, um, it has parts of discrimination. And the question is more, what is actually dangerous speech? Dangerous speech can be hate speech, and there you see um, a graphic from the Dangerous Speech Project, that is a project run by Susan Banage that I worked for quite a few years. And the thesis here is to say, okay, there's certain speech that is not hate speech, but it it's, inspires violence. So suppressing certain speech can also become this dangerous speech. It can inspire violence, but it cannot be held accountable as hate speech. And that is really a problem. So... Um Interestingly, I give you now here an example of deciphering detour communication. For example, we, if we look at Holocaust denial, if, if certain right wing extremists cannot speak about it, they will use detour or deciphering detour communication. And the online world has a very specific form of it. I show it to you here. It's called dog whistling. And dog whistling is a specific message that only particular groups are able to understand. And here I give you the example, you can see there, um, uh, there a, li- a little spot says, don't worry, we broadcast at a, at a frequency that only white people can understand, and behind him are um, very racist comments. That, that is kind of the, the idea of dog whistling, and down there you can see the idea of dog whistling, even though Paper the Frog has become the picture of the old right. the the right-wing extremist troll groups, mainly also from America. We can see here very clearly um, Trump shared this this, uh, meme in order to dog whistle, to say, "Okay, I'm here with you. And the same, of course, don't forget, we we have very similar dog whistling techniques also in the German scene. So, but the question going back to counter speech is how to apply counter speech to these kind of phenomena. And, What do you do with those ones who are very clear about their intention, but not clear about their words? And what kind of counter-speech is applied to these forms of encrypted messaging? So counter-speech wisely would aim at those ones, and you see down there the the silent audience. A classic of those ones who work with social media, you know there's a huge amount of people who consume content, who read and inform, maybe if you work with Youth and kids ask in your class, in your groups, okay, who's actually producing content and who's only consuming, and you probably feel this, it's like an 80-21 sort of rule. So a lot of them consume, certain people curate, and very few do produce own content. And that's a dynamic that is difficult if you want to speak about counter-speech because the consuming of dangerous and hate speech is probably very high. On top of it comes the question: If you say, "Okay, we we want counter speech as part of an online debating culture," Um, um, that most passive consumer of information and um, messages uh, sit in a disinhibition effect that they don't speak out. And furthermore, then we have chilling effects and so-called self-censorships. If only climate, if the climate is toxic, that will make other users. Um, kind of not speak out and not counter speech. Okay, I um, want to speak to you about which users, which online user actually haven't encountered hater speech. And here's a data analysis of 2016, and the latest one is 2019. And that's also a question I give for those ones who work with youth or in education: is ask for the experience. And if you ask in these groups, you will f- probably find, I can tell you from my experience, that at least 80%, if they are honest and they say, yeah, we have experienced hate speech or kind of strange commentary, maybe also disinformation or things that we were thought right. And the numbers here of Forza uh, show us 85% of 14 to 24-year-olds have already been confronted with the fact, and others with dubious media. So it is a common shared experience, and that's actually interesting to work on these common shared experiences to apply and to speak about counter-speech and why it is so important. Um, um, the problem with counter-speech, and is is detecting hate speech, but the problem I told you is also dangerous speech. And with everything, and all the numbers I will present you here, you will find it's quite dangerous to, to detect it. So the context is always, always important. So it's very hard to measure the impact of counter-speech. And those um, numbers we have, and there's really very few reser- uh, there's a lot of research about hate speech now, it's begun, but the reser- research on counter-speech is very problematic because in the end we always come to the point, or many, many studies come to the point that, hmm, uh, yeah, but the context is relevant. Bi- biographical context is relevant. For example, in this, in this um, study that looked at in civil commentary. Um, another part that is also very important is the stuff that uh, yeah stuff that's coming now. The, the technical developer AI filter sentiment, t- sentiment analysis. They can only be a part of detecting in social media what is hate speech and dangerous speech but it always needs humans to detect these contexts. So, that, that we, will c- we cannot so- solve this whole problem with technical filters. Part of it, yes, but it always needs to be connected in kind of an onion, onion layer um, idea. And then there's also nudging and studies about nudging. Uh, there's no outcome yet, but it's interesting to question if automated messages that create positive influ- influence online, are like on- online behavior, that be that. That is kind of the future of studies on counter speech. So, um, counter speech and disinformation. I just shortly um, give you the key points because it, 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 disinformation and hate speech are intertwined. Debunking rates, so called debunking, that is kind of explaining the information, putting it into a context, saying what is manipulated about this information, um, usually reach a proportion of like, like 10 reach the, the fake news or the dense information, and one part of it can only see the debunking or the explanation. So that means, as a consequence, it is very important to have people who, who do debunking nevertheless, but in the question, who do we reach, and how do we get counter-information going, you need a very high intervention level. Um, Otherwise, the disinformation will just stay with the consumer. And um, the intervention to debunk needs to to be right in the moment, while attention is alert. And that means for pedagogues, for those ones who work in education, exactly that same moment to speak about maybe disinformation that has gone through to go right into the conversation. Otherwise, it will be very um, difficult to dissolve. Quickly, I want to speak, what is counter speech for platforms, because platform love counter speech. Here we see Sheryl Sandberg. Of course, it's great for Facebook and for other platforms to say counter speech is a great concept because what does counter speech mean? It means I don't need to change anything. I just have people who create content, that's great stuff for me, that create data and they do counter speech, but it means they don't need to speak about rules, about community standards, about applying communities in, in their processes. Um, they don't need to explain algorithms. It's not bad to support it, but it's it's a question also what to do with it. And um, I see here, really, double standards. Okay. So for me, the key to counter uh, speech is the community, or to work with community. And I will come now to the point where I think in the whole debate, we overlook actually the users or those people who are affected. So community-based rules. Facebook standards are not community standards. Are not community rules. They're made by a policy team. They have never been made by people who are part of the community. And I think that's very important. And even you can involve community in the process of deletion, account blogging and content moderation as as a part of them. Often there's users who are highly identif- identified with platforms, and they volunteer to be part of it. And you, if, if you would be a clever platform, you would support that, and you would like engage people in being part of the platform. But the um, the, the downside or the cost, and I think that's worth a big cost, is that you need super- professional support. You need community manager. You need digital social workers. You need to communicate between them and always be part of a. Of a process, so between big platforms and communities, there's often no exchange, and um, that, that is actually something that, if we want to think it more democratic and create atmosphere that people want to be there, and counter speech is also happening, that um, needs to be built on. I'm coming now to the so-called Network Enforcement Act. The structure of this law is a fine proceeding. So that means if you don't apply certain laws that they have created so that you have to take down certain hate speech within 24 hours, you will have to pay fine. So that idea, actually, you find also in Germany, if companies don't want to employ people with certain disabilities, sometimes they rather pay the fine or the fine proceeding, than making the effort of integrating someone maybe with disabilities. So this whole thought of this enforcement, it even says, uh, of this law, is to, to treat people with penalty. But the question is actually, how can we, we uh, instead reward those who do fi- who well, and those who are interested in really solving the problem. The NetDiggy functions in a very deep logic of threat, and uh, nevertheless, the law is really a questionable under the uh, viewpoint of users. So I ask myself always, who knows actually this law and who understands what it is for? So because you can flag or detect content under community standards, but also under Network Enforcement Act, you need to find it. All sorts of different, um, of different um, um, procedures are there every platform does it different. Is it really for those who are affected from hate speech? I would say no, that is really a a politician between platform law, but it's actually not for those ones who are affected, because they are totally overloaded with trying to flag. And does it really help in promoting counter speech? don't think so. Uh, It's it's really to to push the platforms into doing something but it's not for, actually, counter-speech and user protection. So here you have the law regulates this relation, but um, does the outcome of those who are really in need of help, who've been doxxed, who, who have been arrested, it's, it's very hard to do something with this law with them. Um, it only affects the big f- platform that pr- promotes the idea. And it is basically, that's the main critics, uh, privatization of law enforcement. And what I think, it really doesn't solve the problem, especially not of dangerous speech. There is another interesting thing that I just want to say about counter-speech, because there's a federal program that was established 2017, strengthening civic engagement on the web, web... Uh, projects against on- and online hate speech, and that was funded by the Federal Ministry of Family Affairs uh, for two years. It's part of um, a strategy to prevent extremism and promote democracy. It's called Democracy Live. Um, it's about around about 2.5 million that were put in there, and 33 projects did actually do counter speech or develop all kinds of ideas how to um, enhance people to fight hate speech online. And this ends 2019, and there is no extension of this line. Yeah, the ministry has kind of decided D- digital stuff we need to do, but maybe everybody should do a little bit. And um, that's another problem that I think that here we have a learning and we have projects to actually try to apply counter speech and to find out knowledge, but it just runs out. Okay, my last two points, and then I'm finished. I think everybody needs to do something, and this goes actually to... Uh, Bundespre- the Steinmeier, who said... Plat- uh, ...yesterday here, who said platforms need to be taken into more responsibilities. I also think politics needs to really take in, uh, more into doing something. And as I showed you, it's... it's um, the program is running out, the NetzDG doesn't really solve the problem, all done by the party of Steinmeier himself. And I, th- I think it's quite hypocrite to only... I'm not a platform fan, just want to say, I have a lot of critics against the big platforms, but to only let them solve the problem, it's not going to work. So I think that uh, there needs to be the, a, a profit, non-profit social framework for it, and there really needs to be politicians acting on it, and not only um putting the responsibilities on others. Every user living the consequence of now and every moment of poor actions of these politics, as well as the platforms, I don't want to take them out, about hate speech and counter speech right now. And they need to take care, enhance, reward, good counter speech and healthy communication, and enhance um, enhance also the particip- community Communities should participate more in nudging, in filters, in AI, in community standards. You need to make people who use the platform also be part of the platform and be part of the self-design. I think that is something very important. So, um, just want to say thank you very much. We have a research paper, some of this research I showed you on the internet of the dynamics of hate speech and counter speech and I will, I skipped a few pages but I will be happy to, to be in the corner speaker and discuss with you more solutions and ideas how this could happen. It's okay? I don't know how time is. We could take we could take one more question from the audience here, and then we would shift the discussion on K4, which is the level down there. Could you come to the stage to bring up your question? Hi, um, I'm Björn from uh, Laughstorm, one of these projects. Uh, we offer training and infrastructure for these communities to organise themselves of counter speech. And you said you were speaking about uh, digital social worker. I've never met one. Can you tell? give me some? I am one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but are there more examples of, you know, like, what you, what, what is this? I mean, okay. if you... Uh, actually, it's, it was part of my work at the Amadeo Antonio Foundation was to be a digital street worker and to work with youth who, um, who, who affiliate with right-wing extremist idea to encounter them online, and to kind of see this, the digital space as the street. Yeah, so, social media was my street, and I worked with them, and I debunked information, and I, I did relation building through social media in order to think about why you affiliate so high with right-wing extremism. And just to say, there is more digital so- social worker, I know about ten, They all work in different fields. Some work with refugees, some work with migrant communities, and all they do is use social media in order to inform, advise, or also sometimes debunk and counter speech. Thanks again, Christina (laughs) Dinar. She yeah.